Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others so that you can go and live a life driven by faith. You and I live in a culture that is increasingly opposed to those who trust in God. And it can be a challenge to understand how we are to live in such a world. Right now, we are in a journey through the book of Daniel, learning how God calls us, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, to live when surrounded by people who do not believe. This week, we're going to talk about how to deal with the pressure that comes from following God in a world that, by and large, does not. And we're going to look at the story of three men who were able to continue to serve God under enormous amounts of pressure. It's an important topic, so I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe God has something He'd like to say to you. This morning, we are continuing in our series on the book of Daniel, and if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to Daniel chapter 3. If you uh, didn't uh, have a Bible that you brought with you, then uh, there should be one in the chair, should be one uh, either in the chair rack uh, in front of you or behind you. And uh, if you turn to Daniel chapter 3, I think it's about page 737 in the uh, chair Bible. Uh, at least it is in Burlington. I assume we have the same ones in Belmont. It's got to be really close there if it's not right there. Uh, 737, 738. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at a story, an account in the book of, in the life of, um, in the book of Daniel this morning. Let me start out, though, with a game. Uh, I'm going to start out with a game just to get you, get you loose. Uh, this morning, how many of you like games? Yeah, a couple of you, okay. How many of you played the game Would You Rather? Have you played it before? All right, so here goes the game if you haven't played it. I'm going to ask a question. It's going to start out with the words, Would You Rather? I'm going to put the question on the screen, then we're going to take a poll. You're going to raise your hand, indicate which one of the options you would rather. Got it? The first question is simple. Would you rather play this game or not play this game? You don't have a choice, so we're going to do that anyway. We won't raise your hands for that one. Ready? Here we go. First question. Would you rather listen to music from the 70s or today's music? Uh, How many 70s music fans? Wow. Way more than the 9 o'clock service. All right. How many today's music? Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Some of you are like, I don't know. All right. Would you rather, second question, would you rather read an awesome book or see an awesome movie? How many book people? All right. How many movie people? Pretty even split there this morning on that one. How many raised their hand twice? (laughs) Ah, yeah, I did. There's always a couple on that one. Always a couple. You're like, I would rather both. I want a movie while I'm reading my book. All right, next question. Would you rather make a phone call or send a text message? How many weird people still want to talk to someone on the phone? All right, how many can't be bothered and just, yeah, text me? I'm raising them for both, but that's the second one. Just text me. All right, second one. Would you rather, last one, here we go. Would you rather be a little late or be way too early? How many be a little late people? A few. How many way too early people? I am never inviting any of you to my house. (laughs) 
If you show up at my house way too early, you are cleaning um, because that's what's going on before you get there. Uh, no, that's, where, would you rather? Would you rather do these things? Here's the thing. In your answer, when I ask those questions, you feel a couple different things. You probably had a couple different experiences. When you're in the majority opinion, you probably look around and you probably like feel pretty good about yourself. When you think you might be in the minority opinion, especially on 70s music, where apparently everybody raises their hand for that, and you realize you're going to be one of the few maybe to raise your hand not for that, maybe you felt a little hesitancy or a little pressure because you knew you were in the minority opinion in that. Um, There's different feelings, right? When you feel like you're in the majority, sometimes things are easier. When you feel like you're in the minority, at times it can be a little bit harder to maybe put your hand up, or maybe you're like, I'll just keep my hand down even though I feel that way. I don't need to put my hand up. Or maybe you kind of shot it up and then took it down real quick. Um, it's true. At times it can be easier when we're in the majority than we, we are in the minority. Here's another question for you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this, but think about it. Would you rather worship God or worship something else? Now, that's not a fair question to ask in church on a Sunday morning. That's a little bit of a planting question, isn't it, Pastor? Yeah, sure. And I hope the answer to that, uh, that I could guess for some of you, the majority, would be we'd rather worship God than something else. But here's the thing. Though if I asked you to raise your hand, you might be and probably would be and almost definitely would be in the majority in this room. You might be and probably would be and almost definitely would be in the minority in our world, anywhere outside this room. I'm not talking about people who attend church and if we ask how many do that once in a while or, may, or people who would affirm a Judeo-Christian worldview. I'm talking about people who worship God, who people when asked if there's something that you would give up your life for, give up anything for, that God would be on the list and at the top of the list. If you say that, you're in the minority. There's not as many people in our world that are going to affirm that. But we're talking in this series about how do you follow God when no one else does? So how do you follow God when the majority of people aren't? So that little pressure you might have felt lifting your hand, that's no big deal. But what about this pressure? Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, 
You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that had been set up. Now, that's a little more pressure than having to raise your hand on a would-you-rather question. It is a would-you-rather question. Would you rather bow down and worship this image or, option two, be thrown into a fiery furnace? It's the two options that are laid out The truth is that if you worship God when the culture does not, you will feel pressure. Now, you might not feel the pressure that was going on in this moment. You don't feel the pressure of either bow down or be thrown into a fiery furnace. That's the pressure that they were up against. It was a picture it. You're out in the plains. Not much elevation, nothing really standing up from the landscape. And in the midst of it, this image that has been built, 60 cubits, we don't talk in cubits, about 90 feet, 90 feet high by nine feet wide, standing on a pedestal, set up in the midst of it. Now, we've all seen buildings that are taller than that, but imagine you're out on a plane in ancient times. There's nothing out there. Nine-story high golden statue. Sun shining off it. Your eyes are, you have to look away. One side of the statue is a throne that's been kind of set up and put together for the king that's out there in the plains. His officials are there. The other side of the statue is a fiery furnace that's been put together and brought there. You can hear the crackling of the fire. You can sense the heat that's coming off it. And the king says, would you rather bow down to this image or be thrown in the fire? Let's pick it up in verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now, remember, let me pause for a second because I'm taking for granted that you've been with us. Maybe you haven't been with us the last couple weeks. Back in Daniel chapter 1, we met these three guys, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were taken out of Jerusalem, out of their homeland, and brought to Babylon, and they were put in a government assimilation program in order to assimilate into Babylonian culture and to remove their culture from them. They were given, uh, they were taught a new language, they were educated in new practices, they were uh, told to eat certain food, and they were even given new names. Remember the names they were given? Rakshak and Benny, right. That was, no, (laughs) it's a veggie tale joke. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, given these new names. But the new names weren't just so they would have new names. It was to assimilate them into this culture. And now we're coming back to these three young men, and that assimilation process is being tested. Did it work or not? Are they Babylonian or still Jews? So that's where we pick it up. They accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the bagpipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And so the assimilation process is tested. So their faith in God is tested. Even the music itself, like, is a psychological type of warfare, right? Can you imagine that? It's complete silence. Everyone's waiting. As soon as the music plays. If you're, if you're in the Babylonian, you're thinking, as soon as I'm going to bow. I'm going to bow. As soon as we, I am not getting tossed in that furnace, right? As soon as that music plays, I am bowing. And, of course, these three, as soon as the music plays, they're not going to bow. The music starts playing. And they saw these three that wouldn't bow. You don't face that would you rather today. I mean, some of you, I don't know your story. Maybe you grew up in a country that you did face consequences. I'm not going to put that past a group like this. Perhaps you were raised in a place where you faced consequences for putting your faith in Jesus Christ. But for the majority of us that grow up and live and spend much of our time in America, we haven't faced that would you rather. But you have felt pressure. And maybe you felt more of it lately at times. You feel the pressure when you're in a circle of colleagues at work or at school. And a topic comes up that you know clearly the Bible has something to say about. And you are clearly not in the majority of opinion of the circle of friends that you are talking in. And you think maybe you should speak up, but you don't want to speak up. You feel pressure. In that moment. And why don't you? Why wouldn't you? Why shouldn't you? Because you feel pressure in that time. How are they going to look at you? What's it going to cost you reputation-wise? What's it going to cost you relationship-wise? Pressure's in our society and other places. So it happens in work situations at times. Maybe you felt it back in 2000. Uh, 15, maybe you remember the story of the Mozilla CEO, Brendan Eich. He was made the, yes, Mozilla still exists. 
Um, Firefox, some of you use it. Uh, but yes, he was made the CEO of Mozilla, and he was the CEO for two weeks. Not that he wasn't competent or qualified to do it, uh, but after a couple weeks of being CEO of this uh, Silicon Valley company, it came out that six years before, he had made a $1,000 donation to a cause that was consistent with his Christian beliefs, and people found out about it, and he got fired for his job as CEO of this tech company. Uh, the pressure's there at times. Last couple years ago, you, you might remember the story of the Atlanta fire chief, Kelvin Cochran. Kelvin was a, grew up in Louisiana wanting to be a fireman and became a fireman. In fact, he became the chief of the fire department in Shreveport, Louisiana. He was so good at his job that he eventually got tapped to be the chief of the Atlanta, Georgia fire department. He was so good at that job that in 2010, President Barack Obama asked him to serve as the fire administrator. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but apparently presidents have a fire administrator. And so he served the president in that role. After that, he came back and was unanimously called and approved to be the Atlanta fire chief again. And he served in that role for years. Uh, until in 2015 when he was uh, leading a men's Bible study at his church and he put out a 160-page devotional book on the uh, Bible study for these guys. And a half page of that book contained his understanding and affirmation of a biblical view of marriage between a man and a woman. And in that moment, uh, somebody read that and they ended up getting fired from his job. So... There's pressure that gets felt. It's not all for um, the same issue. There's various issues you and I might feel pressure for when it comes to serving God. If you worship God in a culture that doesn't, at some point, you're going to feel pressure. The question is, will you be able to stand in the pressure? How do you know if you can stand when everyone else bows? If you were on the plane, king on one side, furnace on the other, would you rather bow or be burned in the furnace? How do you know if you'll be able to stand? The truth is, if I ask you this morning, are you able to stand in that time, most of us, the best we can say is, I think so, or I hope so. The truth is, we really don't know unless we're tested. Uh, you really don't know if you're going to be able to stand. It's like a bridge that, uh, you know, gets built. You can design it on paper. You can even build it. But until someone rides across it, I'm not sure it's going to work. And you say, well, they know. Well, maybe they do. But last year in Florida, there was a bridge that was built over a six-lane highway to connect Florida International Highway to Sweetwater, Florida, uh, Florida International University to Sweetwater, Florida. It was $14 million and 950 tons of concrete, and it fell down the first day they tried to use it. Six people were killed. Nine people were injured. You don't know until it's tested. And it's true about your faith, and it's true about my faith, too. 
that we think will stand when everyone else bows, but we can't always tell. You can't know for sure until you test it. But I think there are a couple things you can think about and consider. So I want to encourage you this morning with, with one thing, and that's this. I want you to take your faith pressure. We talk about taking our blood pressure, right? And we want to make sure that's in line and we're healthy and it's all in the way that it's supposed to be. I give you the opportunity this morning to take your faith pressure. What's your faith pressure this morning? In two ways, I think we can gauge that. But before we get there, let's pick up the story. Chapter 3, what did our friends do? Chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace." Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. First thing in taking your faith pressure is this. Check your resolve to obey God. Check your resolve to obey God. Here's what I mean. They got thrown in a fiery furnace, but not because that was the first time they decided that they were going to serve and obey God. Uh, they were living lives in complete obedience to God all along. And the truth is, you and I may not know for sure if we'll stand when everyone else bows until we're tested, but you get tested every single day on whether or not you will trust and obey God's commands or not. Will you lie to protect yourself from embarrassment, or will you tell the truth even though it might cost you something? Uh, will you stand up in a conversation with friends, or will you not in those circumstances? Because if you won't do it there, it's going to be hard if you're in the position of these three men. Uh, taking your faith pressure is, will I obey God daily when I can rationalize not doing it in my mind? I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have thought, well, God is love. He wouldn't want us to die. So, you know, that can't be what he wants. Or they could have thought, well, God is full of grace. So we will bow down now and ask for forgiveness later. Or they could have reminded themselves that God looks on the heart. I'll bow on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. It's true. God is full of love. God is full of grace. And God looks on the heart. But none of these should be used as an excuse to break his commands and do what he has said not to do. 
When we do that, we are presuming upon the grace of God, and that's never a wise place to be when you presume on God's grace. The question is, will I obey on a daily basis in these small places? See, if a bridge can't take a pedestrian walking over it, then it would be foolish to think that a semi could drive across it. And if you and I are not able to obey in the daily things that God asks us to, how could we ever face the pressure in a much harder situation? Take your faith pressure. Will you put God first? Will you trust him when he asks you to give when really you want to keep? Will you trust him when he tells you to love when really what you want to do is just hurt back? Will you trust him when he tells you to forgive and you really want to just hold a grudge? Will you spend time with him when you have other things to do? Will you tell others about him when there's a risk you're going to be thought foolish for believing in God? These little daily tests are like the pedestrians walking across the bridge. If we can obey in these little daily tests, then someday maybe a truck drives across and we still hold. Someday maybe something harder comes and we still stand. And someone may ask, well, how do you stand up under that pressure? And it's not because you just learned to that day. It's because you have been obeying God all along. Second thing in your faith pressure is this. Second, check your willingness to trust. And I would put it this way. Trust not just the ability, but the will of God. Here's the crux of the passage, verse 18, verse 17 and 18. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Say these next three words with me, but if not. Let's do it again. But if not. Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. But if not. Or in the song we just heard in a couple different versions, it says, even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't, we will not serve. And the question this morning is, will you and will I have but if not faith? Can we have, even if he doesn't, faith? Can you trust not only that God is able, but can you also trust his will when it might be different from something you want? See, the three boys, what they, three men in here, what they said is, look, he's able to do it, but he didn't just say he's able to do it. In fact, in the past, I had skipped over this part. It said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us and he will deliver us out of your hand. There was a faith there. Do you have even if faith? When I say no to one of my children when they ask for something they want and I have the ability to give to them, say, ice cream at 10 o'clock at night, Do I have the ability to give it to them? Sure. 
Do they want me to give it to them? Absolutely. I'm expecting them, though, to trust my will over their own. I'm asking them to trust my goodwill for them, even though it's overriding my ability to give them what they want. Here's the thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed God would save them. They said, he will save us, but if not. Think about that for a moment. I think we jump over that too quickly. It makes more sense to me to say, God is able to save us, but if he doesn't, we'll trust him. But that's not what they say. They say, God is able and he will, but if not. Now I'm thinking, did they just lose their minds? Like you just said he will. So why would you say, but if not? Because you just said he will. So it sounds hypocritical. It sounds, it sounds double-minded. I don't get it. In our context, it sounds like they're doubting. But they said, God will, but if not. Let me go back to my example with my kids again. Maybe before they ask, they really believe that I'm going to give it to them. Maybe in the past, at some point, I actually did. We're on vacation. It's, you know, you're relaxed. It's summertime. It's hot out. And it's 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, let's have some ice cream. Right? We did. Yeah, it's no problem. Let's have some ice cream. And they think, well, dad is able to do it, and he's done it before, so he's going to do it this time as well. But they come to me and say, dad, no, they don't use these words. You are able to give us ice cream. And you have given us ice cream in the past, and we believe you will give us ice cream. And if I say, sorry, guys, it's a school night. It's late. It's not wise, and for other reasons you might not understand, no ice cream tonight. Even though I'm able, even though they think I will, I can, the fact that I said no doesn't make me any less their father. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew is God's able, and they believe he would, and they trust that he will, but if not, it doesn't make him any less God. It doesn't make him any less who he said he is. See, what it is, when I say God will deliver me, but if not, it's a greater faith in God's will than my ability to know it. It is not doubting God in the least bit. It is simply doubting my ability to be 100% certain to know God and his will perfectly all the time. It is allowing God to be God. It is the fact that I have a greater faith in God's will than my ability to know it. God, I know you're able to do it. Beyond that, God, I think you should do it. I think you will do it. But if not, you're God. And I will trust. Reminds me a little of Jesus when he went to his disciples after the crowds had left him. He said, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? Essentially, you're God. You want to heal people, make bread, tell us we're going to have to eat your flesh, and drink your blood. Where are we going to go? You're God. We've got no other place to go. 
And I feel like it's that moment with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We believe it would be awesome if God would do this. But if he doesn't, he's still God. You can build a nine-story golden statue all you want. It's not God. There are those who would say that if God is not doing something you want and that he can do, that maybe you are doing something incorrectly. If God can heal you and he's not, then you should change the way you're asking for something or something's wrong with maybe the way you are believing or your faith. I don't believe that's true. True faith believes in God's ability to do something while submitting to his will to not do it if he chooses. And that's the kind of faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. They had this even if he doesn't faith, but if not faith. If you make your worship of God contingent on God's willingness to do what you know he's able to do and you think he should do, and then if he doesn't do it, your faith crumbles, you don't have faith in God, you have faith in yourself. And so if we're gonna take our faith pressure, will we stand up under pressure? Two things really need to be gauged. Am I obeying God on a daily basis in the little things so that one day I can obey in the big things? And secondly, will I trust not only God's ability but his will even if he doesn't do what I think he should do and know he's able to do? But if not, we still will not bow down. When you take your faith pressure, you'll learn that you're unable to keep God's commands all on your own. But let's read the rest of the story. Here's how it ends. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. That is an astonishing statement. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the gods of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who's able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar got some things right and some things wrong. Uh, True, there's no other God who's able to save like this. 
false that he would be want to be worshipped uh, by uh, someone who would threaten to, uh, as opposed to being torn limb from limb, ask for forced worship. Uh, so he just goes way too far. <laughs> he just doesn't get it. But he's right. No other God can rescue like this God. Here's the thing. God has done something else to give you the courage to stand under the pressure. God saves them by putting himself into the fire. And Jesus put himself into the fire to save you. That Jesus faced pressure and yet took punishment for you. We don't go looking for pressure in this world. You don't have to go looking for it. It's grace and a bit unusual historically if you don't face it, but you don't have to go looking for it. But if you're gonna follow Jesus and he said, I am the way, and so you're gonna follow the Jesus way, then Jesus prayed this, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. You're able. If you're willing, take this cup from me. He's talking about the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, says Luke chapter 22. We can say even if he doesn't, because he already has. You have an advantage that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't have because you're on this side of the cross. You've seen God give himself on the cross so that you don't have to worry about the fire that can take away your body but cannot touch your soul because through faith in Christ, the grave has already been conquered. So this morning, take your faith pressure. How are you doing? The truth is that if we will obey God daily and if we will trust his will and not just his ability, we can prepare for pressure, but ultimately the only way we're going to be able to walk through it is through Christ that lives within us, giving us that strength. The main reason people end up bowing down, how do you stand up in a world that's bowing down? The main reason I believe people end up bowing down is because they forget. And when people forget that we have been created by a powerful and loving God, we're tempted to bow down. If we forget that God is more wonderful than all the pleasures of this world, we're tempted to bow down. If we forget that God has given us commands not to hurt us, but to help us, and to help us know to live in this world for our benefit and blessing, we bow down. If we forget that God died for us, we'll be tempted to bow down. If we forget that God is with us, we'll be tempted to bow down. So remember, remember who God is and what he has done for you. If you've yet to experience pressure or punishment or penalty in a culture that does not worship God, it's coming. You'll feel the pressure. But in that moment, you should be like a piece of micro lattice. Anyone here of micro lattice? 
Microatis is something that was developed by Boeing a few years ago. They announced the development of Microatis. It's a material that's amazing due to its unusual size. A single layer of Microatis is thinner than a human hair, yet it's incredibly strong. A full sheet of Microatis is lighter than styrofoam, yet as strong as titanium. You can set a sheet of microlattice on a dandelion and it will not disturb the white petals, yet you can use it to build an airplane that will withstand incredible force. And this is how you and I are called to live, filled with God's spirit, yet tough as nails. We need more microlattice believers in this world. We need worshipers of God who are filled with love and grace and mercy and peace, but will not bend or break under pressure. Or as Barry Corey put it in his book, Love Kindness, we need Christians who have soft edges and a firm center. And that's what you are called to. You're called to walk in this world not bristling, not with your porcupine quills up all the time in case someone is going to put pressure on you. No, you are called to walk through this world as a person full of love and grace, as a messenger of the God of mercy, with soft edges, but a firm center. That if it comes to it, we will not bow down. We will love, we will pray for the city that we have put in as God has called us. We will be a part of the world that God has placed us in. We will work, we will bless, we will be people full of grace and mercy and also truth. And we will not bow down, even if, even if God doesn't deliver us. So I'm gonna ask our music ministry to come back and we're just gonna close in prayer and worship together. And this morning, as they lead us in this final song of worship and as we prepare just to respond to God's word in your own heart, I just want you to take a moment and just take a moment with the Lord in your own heart. Maybe bow your head, close your eyes, just so you would have a moment with God. And just take your faith pressure. Just ask God to show you You can use the things I talked about today about obedience and trusting God's will over his ability, but I'm guessing you really don't even need those because probably throughout this message, you've already thought of a situation at work, at school, conversation with friends, family time around the Thanksgiving or Christmas table. When you felt pressure on your faith, when you felt pressure to act or speak or live in a way that's different than you know is true, then you know that God would want you to act or speak or live. You know that. You can take your own faith pressure. So in this moment with you and God, I encourage you, if that's the case, that you would ask God to remind you of how great he is, of all that he's done for you. to strengthen you by his Holy Spirit so that you and I can be followers of Jesus that would say, even if he doesn't, 
I will still follow him. Even if he doesn't do what I really want him to do right now, what I'm really hoping he will do right now, even if he doesn't, I will trust his will. I will follow him. I will never bow down. I'll have that firm center. God, would you make us that kind of people? Lord, the best we can say at this point is I hope I will. I think I will. But you know, God. And would you strengthen us in those places where we're weak? Would you make us people of courage? People who will trust you? People who will believe that you're able to do anything and you're willing to do much? But God, even if you don't, do what we want you to do. That we will trust you and follow you. Make us that kind of church in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.